0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, February 19th, we're studying Galatians chapter 5, verses 1-15. to 15. In today's text, St. Paul calls the Galatians to remain in the freedom of the gospel, so that they would not seek after circumcision as the mark of the true Christian, but rather they would live in faith in Christ that then turns to the neighbor in love. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor James Uglum. Pastor Uglum serves at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in St. Peter's, Missouri. Pastor Hello. Uglum, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thank you. It is great to be back uh, with you today. As we get started today, Pastor, give us some context. What should we know about the Epistle to the Galatians and what Paul's been saying leading up to
1: Chapter 5? Yeah, so uh, in terms of the ep- the of the Galatians as a whole, as you're uh, reading through it, one of the things that stands out pretty quick right away about this letter in particular, uh, as opposed to some of other, other of Paul's letters, is that this one's pretty focused. He's dealing really just with one issue, uh, broadly speaking, it's the issue of circumcision, uh, but also just kind of the unity that we have in Christ and where are we finding that unity. Um As you can see uh, with what is going on, the contention here in the church uh, or these churches is a question of, is our unity going to be found in the Mosaic Law? Is that going to be the thing around which we center our lives and faith? Or is our unity found in Christ and him alone? Obviously, Paul is going to make the argument that our unity is found in Christ alone. Um, For us sitting on this side of history, that might seem like an odd thing. Um, One of the things I think that can help bring a little clarity to why this was even an issue to begin with is that this, at this point in the church's history, yeah, we're trying to meld uh, Jews who have heard uh, the gospel of Christ, who have become followers of his along with Gentiles who have never had that Mosaic law as their backdrop. And so when you, you throw those two things together, it uh, makes a little bit of sense that there would have to be some of these discussions about how much of the law of God, which is still scripture, still profitable for us, how much of that you know still bears on our lives as followers of Christ, and in what way does that uh, does that happen, and how do we talk about it? Yeah, yeah, we we've
0: seen those kinds of conversations already come up a little bit in Galatians, especially in chapter two. Uh, uh-huh. We also talked about the matter of unity or fellowship in that chapter where Paul goes to Jerusalem, and the fellowship that he finds there is found in nothing other than this doctrine of Christ crucified and risen for the salvation of sinners. Where else do we see that play out in Scripture, this conversation
1: you're talking about? Uh, this conversation between unity and um, conformity, what, what, which uh, exactly do
0: you mean there? Well, that and, and especially I'm thinking Jew and Gentile, this issue that that really affects the early church. That maybe is a little strange to us. It's been prominent in Galatians. Where else do we see that that particular conversation?
1: Well, for Acts, uh, in the book of Acts, for sure. Um, in many of Paul's other letters, uh, we're going to see that play, you see that play out. Um, it kind of pops up all over the place uh, again, just because of that the melding of those two cultures, uh, as Paul goes to spread this message um, you see it here in Galatians as well but uh, in other letters of Paul also where for him this becomes a very personal thing obviously because he is coming out of Judaism um, he was called to follow Christ in a very dramatic way and you know he had to to wrestle with these things um, Philippians contains uh, one of the most Uh, One one of the most awesome passages in that regard where he says, you know, if if anybody had reason to justify themselves in the flesh, it's me. And then he lists his, you know, long, long list of accomplishments in the law. And he says, all of this is worthless because of Christ.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. So so Paul's, again, been focusing us especially on that doctrine here in Galatians that we are saved only by God's grace, not by our works of the law. Today, especially in Galatians 5, we're going to turn more particularly, once again, to the matter of circumcision, which has been in the background all along, but now comes once again uh, to the the front of Paul's mind. Uh, What what kinds of context do we need to know about what he's written already that's going to help us as we jump into chapter 5 particularly?
1: Yeah, so when you look back at what he's uh, written up to this point... um, Um, he has already mentioned and you'll see some callbacks to this in the language of acts but he's already mentioned that council in acts 15 the discussions that he had with uh, both the church at large the council that met but also um, cephas or peter um, when they had their back and forth um, you see his you know rebuke of peter when um, he kind of wavers a little bit on that um, and he goes back to uh, really back to kind of uh, following the law a little more. Um, and then, you know, just before this passage begins, uh, he gives this example of Hagar and Sarah. Uh, and he says, you know, we can allegorize this relationship and their children, you know, one a child of the flesh, the other a child of the promise. And, you know, from that point on then, he, he goes to say, you know, we are child, uh, children of the promise. And so we need to rest on that promise, not on, uh, not on these external things. Yeah. yeah, just
0: since you brought up the end of chapter 4 and the mm-hmm. context there, I, I know we'll get into this verse a little bit later, but in verse 6 of our text, Paul's going to say, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts in anything but only faith working through love. And I think that helps tie back into the example of Isaac and Ishmael because both of them were circumcised. It, in the book of Genesis, both of them receive circumcision. And so the, the point that he makes there in chapter 4 isn't based on whether they're circumcised or not, but whether, again, they're a child of the promise or a child of the human works, the child of the flesh and the law. And so I think that's a... Verse 6 of our chapter is going to tie in nicely to the example that he, he gave of Isaac and Ishmael, both of whom were circumcised and yet were children of, of different covenants, one of slavery, one of freedom. So... With those things in mind, let's take a look at this text. This is Galatians 5, beginning at verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. That is our text for today, Galatians 5, verses 1 to 15. Before we dig into the individual verses, Pastor Uglum, give us a a bit of a a structure to this text. How do you want to outline it?
1: Yeah, so looking at this text, these 15 verses, uh, you can really uh, break them up into three sections. So you've got sections uh, verses 1 through 6 where Paul is uh, highlighting this idea that circumcision is part of the old law, and it's that which enslaves us. Uh, The second section then would be verses 7 through 12 where he says that those who insist on circumcision lead others astray. And then the third and final section, those last three verses, uh, this idea that Christ's grace uh, grace frees us uh, from Slavery to these things to love one another, and you know that's going to be the outline you look at when you when you look at these verses. And again, as he really centers in now at this point in his letter on circumcision, uh, he says some really hard hitting things. He, he's not missing any words. You you know exactly how he feels and how serious a, an issue this is for the church there and for us as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, Paul's been a pretty strong tone throughout this epistle, and again, he reaches a, a very high climax in that tone, especially in verse 12, as we'll talk about that in a a little while. So in that first section, verses 1 to 6, where where he really hammers away that circumcision is part of the old law, he starts by laying out a bit of a thesis that he'll return to later in our text. For freedom, Christ has set us free. That's a wonderful turn of phrase. What's he saying? For freedom, Christ has set us free.
1: Yeah, so the the simple idea idea behind this is um, for freedom obviously you know for us in our culture freedom is a big thing but really what he's doing is hearkening back to stuff that jesus has said before um, this idea that we are freed from sin we're freed from the fear of death from the devil um, to use you know those three common (laughs) that that common phrase for us as lutherans um, that is the freedom that we have and what he's going to say in these next few verses is that um, remarkable enough, as it may seem, that when we, when we begin to attach things as necessary to our faith beyond uh, what Christ has done, then what we're really doing is walking back into slavery. And um, it can happen, you know, very slowly and imperceptibly. but in the end, it's still a return uh, to that. Um, as I was reading through these verses, you know, those, some of those questions uh, cropped up as I was thinking through this, you know, freedom, uh, f- you know, for what, from what. Uh, this idea, again, uh, John 8 is where we see this, where Jesus says, you know, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And his uh, Jewish audience there takes a bit of issue with that and, you know, basically replied, uh, we are children of Abraham, we've never been slaves of anyone. And uh, again, that statement is, is just laughable on the, on the surface because, of course, their children of Abraham, they have as this pivotal moment in their history, the fact that they were slaves and were freed from slavery by God. Um, but then Jesus responds simply, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. And that's really what Paul's getting at here, is that if we uh, go back to, what, uh, to the law, then we're really just going back, into slavery.
0: Um. You mentioned that the word freedom is a a big term in our culture. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Independence Day, that's a day on the calendar, July 4th. And I, I think it's important for us to understand what freedom means scripturally. I think for many, when we hear that term as Americans, we think freedom means I can do whatever I want. I can make my own choices. That's not the freedom that we're talking about here. Uh, the freedom, and you've used this language, not only freedom from what, but freedom for what. And Paul's going to spell that out, again, more explicitly in a couple verses in our text, and especially as he moves into the next text with the about the fruit of the Spirit. But you mm-hmm. start to see that here, that there's a freedom for something, and it's not for me to do whatever I want, but rather it's a freedom to live in that gospel, to live in the The love that Christ gave to me that I can now share with with my neighbor. Talk a little bit more about that that distinction between the the freedom that we have in Christ, the freedom that our, our culture talks about and and how how Paul's talking about it here.
1: Yeah, and some of the questions, especially the uh, objections that someone might raise to hearing about this um, rather all-encompassing freedom, they're not unique to our culture, but they were questions that were going on for Paul's readers as well. Um, You see this come up, especially in in Romans uh, where, you know, he addresses these things. Uh, Again, this idea that freedom, the freedom Christ is giving us is not freedom licensed to do whatever we want. Um, As Paul is going to say here at the end, that we are freed uh, to really fulfill the law as it was intended by God in the first place. So it's a freedom to love uh, God uh, fully, a freedom to love our neighbors as ourselves, um, you know, when Jesus talks about the fulfillment of the law, you know, that's what he goes back to. And that's what Paul is going to really go back to here, that it's this idea that we are freed um, in Christ to love as, as we were always meant to. It's not a freedom, a license to do whatever we want. Um, rather, it's that sort of freedom. And the struggle I think we have is that, you know, with that as Christians, when it comes to the law, is that we do have this old nature still, at work in us that, um, in some twisted way, desires the law and desires to justify ourselves by it. Um, as I was, you know, researching this and, and working through it, I had seen this quote um, that comes out of the civil still is this, the comes out of the Civil War, and uh, it's with a quote spoken uh, on the lips of a slave woman who, uh, upon hearing about the Emancipa- emancipation Proclamation, this is what she said. Uh, She said, now, is I free or been I not? When I go to my old master, he says, I ain't free. And when I go to my own people, they say I is. And I don't know whether I'm free or not. Some people told me that Abraham Lincoln signed a proclamation, but master says he didn't. He didn't have any right to. And you you think of that quote, you know, a lot of us as Christians, uh, we can be confused on the same point. Um, You know, Jesus has... Given us this emancipation proclamation, we are freed in Him now, but that old tyrant Satan is still whispering in our ear. No, you're not, and that's you know for us the lifelong struggle. I think that we have as we grow in Christ is recognizing that um, the accusations of the law that we still hear and feel in many ways, um, those have been dealt with in Christ, and it's a I think it's a lifelong process of learning to say to that voice and to Satan, no, uh, my justification rests on Christ and him alone, not on my ability or, rather, inability to, to follow all God's law.
0: Yeah, Perfect. yeah. It, in that regard, I think there's. it's almost like there's two different types of slavery that Paul's going to warn against. He's really been warning against the slavery that comes when we try to find salvation by the law, whether that comes through circumcision, as we're going to talk about here, or, or just all the law, which is also going to be a part of his argument here. So there's there's that kind of slavery that really has been in view so far. After our text, he really is going to make a turn, I think, to start talking also about the slavery that can exist when we think we can just sin and keep on sinning. There, There's two different types of slavery very much related to each other. Uh, both of those are... <laughs> Are a temptation for our sinful flesh to seek after slavery to the law that we would try to save ourselves slavery to sin that we would just please our sinful desires both of those are slavery Paul exposes that here and says that's not what Christ has done for you he set you free so live in that freedom don't submit again to a yoke of slavery and so he's he's really going to turn then to say how submitting to circumcision is that yoke of slavery so Take us into the next part of Paul's argument there in verse 2.
1: Yeah, so uh, one other thing that's worth mentioning just briefly before we get out of verse 1 is that that phrase, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, uh, it mirrors actually a phrase on Peter's lips in Acts 15, Mm -hmm. so where they have this initial discussion in the church about, um, about circumcision, about those things that are extra and required. Um, Peter says there, Now therefore, brothers, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And so, again, it's another. Uh, it's just an interesting connection that Paul uh, makes here uh, back to this previous discussion the church has. Um, and in that case, uh, Peter's uh, good confession that it's not... Uh, you know, we ourselves as Jews haven't been able to fulfill this, so why would we expect that the Gentiles uh, would be able to? Uh, But then as we move into verse 2, Paul writes, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. This is just the first of what becomes many, you know, really pointed, hard-hitting passages, this idea that Christ is of no value to us if we accept this, and then, you know, working out how does that how does that compute?
0: Yeah, so help us help us to work that out. How does that compute? That if if you sec, accept circumcision, that Christ is of no advantage of you. I mean, that's a very black and white, either or kind of thing.
1: Yeah. So well, what he's saying here is that if you're accepting Christ, if you're accepting circumcision, what you're really doing is going back to that law. It's as if Christ. Um, is of no value to you because uh, what Jesus has done on the cross you're saying it's not that wasn't enough and you still have to go back to the Mosaic law and if you're not going back there then you've you've messed uh, messed the point somehow um, so well so what is it about accepting circumcision and again in this
0: context that that makes it such a, a separation from Christ in this case
1: Yeah, so in this context, um, the idea with circumcision, you know, obviously, as Paul, as God gave it to Abraham as a sign of the covenant, this was, you know, the, uh, you could say, sign by which the people of God were uh, seen as uh, separate, holy. Um, And so, you know, it's natural that they would have this idea that uh, circumcision, you know, was this. This capstone thing uh, for them. But in in doing that, if if you go back to circumcision, you're just returning to um, that old law. And there's, you know, the problem isn't really with circumcision itself. So it's not, Paul's not saying circumcision itself is bad. He goes on to say, you know, it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or uncircumcised. Uh, The problem isn't the circumcision. The problem is the motivation that stands behind it, that motivation to to say there are still other things that we can do ourselves or that we have to do ourselves in order to you know be in god's good graces to um to you know in effect be justified by god um, and in that way so for us obviously in our culture we don't really have that when it comes to circumcision but it's this idea that any good deed done out of a motivation to please god or to earn god's favor or to you know curry that becomes sin in us and has uh, the opposite effect, which seems weird um, that a good deed could somehow be sinful. But uh, Jesus highlighted this a lot of times in his ministry. It was the hypocrisy that he called people out on. Um, one of the places that you see it really clearly is when he calls out the Pharisees um, who you know love to give large sums of money and they do it. Uh, they come to the temple at the times when people are most likely to be there to see it and they you know they drop those huge offerings which you know in or you know from an outward standpoint you might say well praise god those offerings can be used in amazing ways to help the poor and the needy and the widows and the orphans and that's true but for those people making those offerings for those reasons just to be seen by others it is sin in them it's there is no good effect on their hearts they're, all they're doing is they're putting that money in, patting themselves on the back, saying, hey, uh, look at how great I am. And if that's the motivation, then it would be better if they had never done it in the first place. So outwardly, it seems like a good deed, but inwardly, it's having the opposite effect on them. It's pulling them away from God.
0: So for us today, then, it's not necessarily about, you know, if, if you accept circumcision, maybe isn't the, the example that's going to hit most closely to home. But those who would say, you have to do this to be a Christian, or you have to do that to be a Christian, right. if the this or the that is not believe in Jesus Christ and trust in him alone for salvation, then you've added something, and when you've got Jesus plus something, you end up with nothing. That's <laughs> been Paul's math throughout the epistles
1: of Galatians. Correct. Um, you know, I saw this... Uh, in effect, when I was in high school, I had a friend that was a their family was attending an Assemblies of God Church. And um, I went with them a couple times to the services. We did some of the youth group stuff with them. Um, and I remember at one point, um, this is about six months after I'd gotten to know them, uh, I found out that they weren't actually members of the church, but they went all the time. And I was like, well, why aren't you guys members? Because, you know, they weren't going anywhere else. This was, you know, their church home. and." Um, the mom said, well, we're not a member because in order for us to become members, we'd have to sign this covenant, this pledge that, you know, we and it was a list a laundry list of things that they would would do and not do. So it was, you know, give this certain percentage. It was uh, not watch R-rated movies. It was, you know, they're uh, not cuss or swears, a whole list of things. And it's not that the list itself is bad. I mean, those are, you know, outwardly fine things. Um, the problem was adding that as a condition to, you know, what it means to be a part of this body of Christ. And so anytime we do that, very rarely, I think, do we codify it quite that way. Um, but anytime as Christians we wind up doing that, we are in essence, you know, to use Paul's turn of phrase here, you know, we're going back to circumcision, going back to the law.
0: Yeah, that, that's right. And as you said, you know, Paul will talk about later in this very epistle of the good works that belong to Christians because of what Christ has done. Again, Christ has set us free, as he will say in this section, for faith that works through love. So it's not like those those good works that God gives us to do, it's not like they're bad. They are good works. But when we turn and put our trust in them, when we make them as a condition of our Christianity in the sense that I'm not a, a saved person if i haven't done x something according to the law that's where we're starting to to turn on what paul's saying here of christ not being an advantage to us yes we need to do good works but those good works do not save us they cannot save us and when we turn and put our trust in them then christ becomes of no advantage as paul has said previously in this epistle if we could be saved through the works of the law then christ has died for nothing and he's going to keep the galatians and us from trusting in ourselves, and rather call us to faith in Christ alone. We're going to keep looking at this text more on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor James Uglum this morning. We'll be right back Please you stick around.
2: Did you know that an investment with Lutheran Church Extension Fund exclusively supports LCMS ministries and church workers? That's right! LCEF ensures LCMS churches, schools, and organizations have access to the financial resources they need to sustain, strengthen, and start ministry work. In other words, you can feel good investing with LCEF because we share your Lutheran values and love for the church. Learn more at lcef.org.
0: Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, February 19th. We're studying Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 to 15 with Pastor James Uglum. He serves at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in St. Peter's, Missouri. Pastor Uglum, prior to the break, we were looking at verse 2. We come now to verse 3. Paul continues to tell the Galatians why it is that Christ would be of no no advantage if they accept circumcision. In verse 3 he says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. And then he he gets stronger language here. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. So essentially, if you take circumcision, Paul says, you've got to get the whole law right. And if you're trying to do that, you're cut off from Christ. So those are several big steps right in a row. Very strong language. Help us to see what Paul's saying.
1: Yeah. So again, what Paul is doing rhetorically here is he's trying to heighten the uh, heighten the, the risk, I guess, you could say that goes along with this, this idea. He's trying to take this argument to its logical conclusion that, hey, if we're going back to circumcision, then we can't just go back to circumcision and pull that out and tease it out as if it's just one part of the law that we can somehow keep. But we got to go back to it all and it's you know it's it's kind of natural circumcision would become the issue for the early church in the way that it did in that circumcision unlike other parts of the law you know thinking specifically about the ten commandments circumcision is one of those for sure that you can you know you could say uh, i've done it i've not done it Um, it's one of those things about which a person has uh, as much control as they have Over things, You know, either I'm going to be circumcised, I'm not going to be circumcised. In that regard, it becomes something that we can actually do ourselves. Um, But what Paul does here is he says, you know, it's not just circumcision. If you go back uh, to that, then you're obligated to keep the whole law. And that's where we hit kind of the stumbling block and where I think Paul is hoping to get the Galatians to, which is if you're going back, if you're going to listen to these guys who are coming in and saying you still need to be circumcised, then you've got to go and you've got to take the whole law and you've got to live up to all of it, and it's at that point anyone kind of following that argument would would then you know be calling to mind all of the law of God, and before too long, they should be hitting that point where they're saying, uh, realistically, I can't keep it all. So whether you know you go through the Ten Commandments yourself or uh, for these early Christians, if they have the words of Christ from the Sermon on the Mount ringing in their he- their ears. Um, You know, it's not just our, um, you know, it's not just a little thing, this idea that we can keep the law, but in effect, you know, as Jesus raises the bar, anyone, uh, you know, who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery within her heart. If you've been angry with your brother, you're guilty of murder. Um, In all of these ways, what we find is that no matter how hard we try to do it, no matter how sincerely we try to do it or justify ourselves, we can't. And so Paul is saying, if you're going to go back to circumcision, then the whole weight of the law is going to fall on your shoulders and good luck carrying that. Um, and he, you know, he goes on even further to say that, you know, when you've done this, you become severed from Christ, which, uh, is again, an awful thing to consider that in some way we could become severed from Christ by this, but Paul is really, again, trying to ratchet things up and say, look, if, if you're going down this road, then this is where, where that road leads. And so, um, this gets in yeah. a little bit like the, the once saved, always saved arguments that kind of circle around perennially mm-hmm. in Christianity. And I think scripturally, what we can say in regards to this, you know, that what he says last that in verse four, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. It's that there's the truth on the one hand that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. On the other hand, we still unfortunately have the ability to separate ourselves from Christ, to sever that relationship ourselves, to to walk away. And so as Paul's writing this letter to the Galatians, he's writing it with that in mind recognizing, hey, if, if you guys start following these false teachers who have come into your midst, they're going to be leading you, uh, you know, straight out of Christ's hands, and this is, this is not the direction you want to go.
0: Yeah, that's right. And just to, to see the imagery that he puts here with the, the thought of being severed from Christ, you know, circumcision is a, a rather small cut, relatively speaking, but Paul says, if you if you go down that route, then you're going to cut yourself off entirely. And again, that, that strong language, he wants to put that in their minds so that they see the seriousness of what's happening. And that, that thought of something that starts small but gets bigger is going to come up again later when he talks about false doctrine. Now, as, as he yeah. continues in this section, then he does turn now to speak more positively. He's speaking, of, here's what you, you can't do, but here's what you have, here's what you want to hold on to in verses 5 and 6. He says for through the spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness and then for in christ jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love he talked to us about that that positive doctrine what he wants them to hold on to there in verses 5 and 6
1: yeah so you know right away in verse 5 when he says for through the spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness we get this mm. um, sense of this Uh, now and not yet aspect of following Jesus that we have that we you know from that moment of baptism that we are one in Christ we are saints of God but yet we're still waiting for a further hope of redemption which is for Christ to return for us to be raised uh, fully glorified bodies just as he had and so when he says you know we eagerly uh, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness righteousness that's the idea that he has in mind there. It's, it's not that we somehow have something lacking in us, you know, in this moment. We, we have, you know, faith in Christ fully. We, you know, we have those gifts of God. Uh, we've received them fully, but yet we still are struggling with our sinful natures, this side of uh, the new creation. We're still struggling with the reality of Satan alive and in the world, this side of the new creation. And so that's, you know, positively what he's saying. And the, the important part in verse five is that, you know, the how is, how have we gotten here? And he says, it's for through the spirit by faith. So it's not um, through circumcision by the law, it's for through the spirit by faith that we have all of this. And yeah. that, you know, is a of really black and white counterpoint to what he's been arguing, you know, up to this point. Um, and especially the verse right before this where he says you know if you're going to go back to circumcision you got to take all of the law and keep it perfectly and so what he's saying is no we don't and so for a Christian reading this in Galatia um, anyone that you know had begun uh, sidling down that road of those false teachers this should be a huge weight lifted off of their chest their shoulders uh, a huge sigh of relief to know that hey this is Something that is gifted to me uh, by God through the Spirit by faith—it's not something that I am in some way trying to to pull up myself. Um, yeah, and then that, he... that
0: that well, that just to to piggyback on what you were saying about the through the Spirit by faith as the way that we have this hope of righteousness—I think is really important—and it calls to mind a lot of what Paul's been saying in the previous two chapters when he says through the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who's been sent into our hearts to cry out, Abba Father. It is it is through faith that we are sons of God, that we are clothed in Christ Jesus in holy baptism, as Paul has said in Galatians 3. So that reminder of, of how we have this hope of righteousness, again, is a reminder of the grace of God. That's how we've come into this hope of righteousness. And it's not through circumcision. That's not what's entered into how we've entered into this promise that God has made. Now in verse six he says, now really, it's really not about circumcision or not. That that's ultimately not the point. Again in this context, you're not gonna accept circumcision because of what's attached to that. But ultimately it's not about the outward sign at all. It's about something else he says. He says it's only faith working through love. What does he mean there in verse six?
1: Yeah, so what he's saying there is he's saying it's not about circumcision or uncircumcision, but only faith working through love um, you catch a little bit of a a, you know echo of what james uh, addresses in his letter um, this idea that faith and uh, love or faith and works um, are kind of opposite sides of the same coin i think what he is trying to get at here when he says uh, that it's it's only faith working through love it's this idea that uh, it's love is as jesus Uh, highlighted it not um, it's not adherence to a set of religious principles or the law but it's that um, response to what God has done you know faith working through love that is critical so this gets back to what we'd said a little bit before it's that motivation about you know behind why you're doing the things that you're doing and so um, you know our faith um, we have a response to that uh, free gift of God. And that response then are those, those good works. But when we try to flip the coin and try to put the good works ahead of faith, that's where uh, we, we always wind up messing it up because uh, it doesn't work that way. It's, it's faith working through love. And that love is then that, that outgrowth of what God in Christ has done for us. Yeah, Paul's
0: going to use this same way of speaking in chapter 6 about it's it's not about circumcision or uncircumcision. In chapter 6, he's going to say it's a new creation. So I think we, we're right to tie those things together. Faith working through love comes from being a new creation in Christ. Same language used back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which we looked at previously here on Sharper Iron. So this is this is what actually counts. It's not about the circumcision or uncircumcision. It's about being in Christ, that faith that then works itself out with love. Again, we're going to hold on to that, especially as we move into the fruit of the Spirit in tomorrow's text. Now, as we continue here, we move into the, the next section that you had in, in your outline, Pastor Uglum. And now mm-hmm. we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about the false teachers and what they're up to and why they need to be avoided. And again, we get some strong language from Paul. In verse 7, we, we hear some of his exasperation at the whole situation yet again. Like, what's yeah. going on? Why are we having this conversation? Uh, take us into to how he starts to address the matter of the false teachers there in, in Galatia.
1: Yeah, so, you know, you definitely do get a sense of his frustration at this point. Um, you know, as, as someone who evangelized these people at the beginning, um, you know, those, right when he, you know, begins this, you were running well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? You, you know, that's just the first hint of it, and that'll uh, really come to culmination in verse 12. But um, again, Paul is just, Um, you know, if he could be there, I think in person, he'd be knocking them upside the head or shaking them and saying, come on guys, like (laughs) I explained this to you already. This is not, uh, this is not the way this works. Um, and so, you know, he, in these verses, you know, what we wind up seeing is, uh, what it looks like to follow Christ. Uh, we see how important it is, um, to test the spirits is, you know, to use John's turn of phrase, but to um, to, to take, uh, you know, what we're hearing and to test that against the scriptures, no matter who is saying it, so that um, we, we don't wind up going down that same road uh, as these Galatians, you know, were going.
0: Yeah, you use the language of going down the same road, and Paul does use the image of running. Talk to us about that yeah. athletic imagery that he brings up there in verse 7.
1: Yeah, and as a as a runner, I love that Paul throws this stuff in and peppers it throughout his uh, his epistles. I'm not a runner, <laughs> <laughs> and if you're not a runner, then that's fine. You can fit your own own imagery, um, but he uses this uh, athletic imagery, um, I think, as a way to highlight the the discipline of faith that um, that does come. That you know, we um, as Christians, we find ourselves in this weird. Uh, and again, this is the now and not yet weird, weird place where, um, in one sense, the race has already been run and won for us in Christ, and at the same time, we are called to run this race of faith ourselves. And so, it's it's that idea that he's that he's getting at is that yes, Christ has done everything for you, and yes, there's still the reality that you're living in the midst of this sinful world, and now you've been called to follow Christ to run this race. Uh, as well. And so, you know, what he's saying here at the end of this, you know, who hindered you from obeying the truth? Again, uh, That this winds up being um, akin to what he says uh, in 1 Thessalonians, another of his letters, where um, he talks about Satan uh, hindering his own way. And this this idea that, you know, who's, who's putting this stumbling block in front of you? So he's not talking about Satan specifically here, but it's that connection, that same idea that Whether um, it's an idea you've gotten in your own head, whether it's an idea that some other person has given you, um, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, the thing, the person, entity behind it is Satan who's trying to get you off of that road, um, to get you to turn away from that path. Um, And so that's a little bit of the imagery too. So if you ever, again, for the runners out there, if you've ever been on a race um, with not a lot of runners and you're trying to make sure you stay on course. You know, they'll usually have signposts every every so often. Um, and every once in a while you wind up in a race if you run enough of them where you might make a wrong turn, uh, where uh, you wind up cutting the course because they're just not people in front of you that you're following or the people that you were following in front of you went the wrong way. And that's happened before in races too. And uh, so using this imagery then um, applies directly to us in and, and our walk our following of Christ, that it's that keep Christ in front of you while you're while you're running and on the course, because if you take your eyes off Christ and follow someone else, they might lead you in a completely different direction. Yeah,
0: I, I like the connection that you made to Satan's role here in the false teaching, while I do think it, it sounds like Paul's talking about a specific individual, which mm-hmm. does strike me a little bit, you know, he's been talking about Judaizers and false teachers, it does seem that they've got a leader based on the way that he writes in this text, but that false teacher is not following after Christ, that false teacher and the false teaching is following after Satan. There's a role of, him, of Satan in this, we've seen that in other Pauline epistles, I think that's in the background here. In either case, it's not coming from Jesus in verse 8. So that he comes to this little proverb in verse 9 about a little leaven, leavening the whole lump. Take us into what he's saying there.
1: Yeah, so this is a proverb that he uh, makes use of, probably made use of quite a bit in his ministry. It appears in um, two of his letters. So here in Galatians, uh, he uses the same proverb in his first letter, to the Corinthians and the context while the specific instance is different the idea behind it is the same so in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 this is where he uses that it's this idea of sexual immorality that is going on in the church and he says you know a little leaven you know spoils the lump it's it's the same idea and it's the idea that uh, you know maybe in proverb that we'd be more familiar with, you know, one bad apple spoils the crate, uh, or you know it's it's all of those things, but it's this idea that um, if you've got uh, this quantity of good things, you don't want a small quantity of some bad thing in the midst of this good thing because it will ruin the whole thing. Um, so that's that's the idea that he's got. And so for us as Christians, false teaching, uh, sin, can't be tolerated um we have to address it we have to deal with it because if we don't it's like that little leaven spoils the whole lump that that thing that might seem and might be relatively minor at the outset if it's carried through to its you know logical end ultimately it's going to wind up you know to use paul's own language here hindering us it's it's going to turn us away from christ and so you know that's what paul uh is is really calling the the people of God in Galatia here too, uh, when he says a little leaven leaven, uh, leavens the whole lump. It's this idea that, you know, this little thing, this thing that might seem minor and inconsequential is actually quite big, or this thing that might even seem good on the outside. So again, with this being circumcision, it's not like circumcision is a bad thing. I mean, throughout the Old Testament, it's that sign of God's covenant people. But here in this case, if that sign is being held up as the thing that has to be done in order to be a part of God's covenant people now then you've turned this good thing into a, into an a horribly evil thing
0: hmm. now in in verse 10 then Paul yeah, yeah, sorry, I lost my place for a second there. Yeah, in verse 10, Paul gives them one of these little outs that he, he often does, like, hey, I know you're on my side in this. I've got confidence that you're going to believe this, and, and the idea is that, oh yeah, Paul, of course we are. We're, we're, we're going we're gonna to go with the freedom of the gospel that you've been preaching. It, I'm going to keep us moving because we're running short on time here. Uh, sure. Take us into his argument in verse 11 as to what he's saying, and then his very strong language, maybe the, among the strongest language he has in the whole book in verse 12.
1: Yeah, so uh, verse 11 he says, But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Um, and then he follows it up with verse 12, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. So his argument in verse 11 then uh, where he says, If I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? That sounds, it hits a little odd at our, on our ears, I think at this point in the letter because He has not been preaching circumcision. Uh, In fact, you could say he's been preaching the opposite. And uh, interpretively, there's probably a number of different ways you can go with this. I didn't count all of the ways that, um, who was it, Steinman or Andrew Doss dealt with it in the Galatians commentary from Concordia. But he lists, I think, like six or seven um, before he finally gets to the last one, which I think he he kind of highlights for himself, and I think was the way that I read this the first time, uh, which is that when Paul is saying this, uh, if my brothers still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? So he's a little bit playing devil's advocate, but beyond that, he's hearkening back to the, the fact that his life before Christ, you know, before Jesus appeared to him, he was preaching circumcision. Um, but he also at the same time says, you know, uh, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. This idea that, you know, if the cross is offensive, it's offensive because um, it's it's taking, um, you could say it's taking agency away from us because God is doing this thing there on the cross. But if circumcision is still the thing that's being preached, then that offense is removed because it's, then it's not about what God and Christ is doing. It's about how good you're, you're keeping this this law that God has given. Um, so that's the argument there. Verse 12, um, really kind of picks up at the, uh, with the end of what happens in verse 10. So when in in verse 10, he says, you know, that little out, I, I'm confident, uh, in the Lord that you'll take no other view that you're going to listen to my argument here. Um, that the, the one who is troubling, you will bear the penalty. Um, I underline that because the first couple times I read through it, I thought that was, you know, fairly innocuous, especially compared to verse 12. But when you think back to what Jesus said about those who lead, um, especially these little ones astray, it would be better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and be thrown in the sea. Um, I think that's the idea that he's getting at when you think of, well, what's that penalty that they're bearing and, you know, how, how bad could it be? Well, that's, I think, how bad it could be. You know, it, it would be better uh, for that to happen than you to be leading any of these young Christians uh, in Galatia astray. And then yeah, verse 12, yeah. you know, when he throws in this, this last bit, you know, I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Uh, that right there, you know, you got no question about how Paul feels about circumcision at this point and those who are preaching circumcision to the Christians, um, you know, he's saying, yeah. "I wish, in the midst of circumcising yourself, you just slip up. I wish you would just go all away." You know, it's that. Uh, you know, it's about as extreme as you can get.
0: Yeah, it really is. And again, it seems it seems graphic, but Paul, if you keep in mind what Paul said earlier about if you start with circumcision, you end up severing yourself from Christ. He's mm-hmm. just carrying that to its its conclusion here, and and showing. The absolute danger of these false teachers, that there's no place for them among the Galatians. You you have to get rid of this false teaching, because this is the, the danger that it poses. And if that's the way they want to act, then here's the here's the way that it would end, both spiritually physically. It's not a pretty picture. And so again, the danger of the false teaching is very evident. Now, verses 13 to 15, I think, really set the stage for the text that we're going to look at tomorrow where paul now digs more into what it means that we have this freedom in christ what that looks like in the christian life got about three minutes here pastor uglum help us to to look at these verses wrap this text up and and set the stage for for what is to come here in galatians
1: yeah so he says here uh, for you were called to freedom brothers only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So um, what he's saying in verse 13 and in verse 14, he's, in verse 13, it ties, like you mentioned at the beginning, all the way back to verse 1 of chapter 5 here. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore don't submit again to a yoke of uh, slavery. This idea that, um, or this, you know, kind of frequently asked question, well, if we've been freed from Sin from uh, the guilt of the law and all this, then um, what's to prevent me, what's to prevent others from taking that freedom and running with it, just doing whatever they please? And that's really what Paul is getting at in verse 13. You know, he's saying, You've been called to freedom, brothers, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And it's this idea that, yes, you're free in Christ, but you're free in Christ to live as God always intended you to live. Don't, you know, that idea that don't submit again to yoke of slavery from verse one is this idea that when we take that freedom and then we, we run back into sin. Um, yes, we're free in Christ, but if we go back to that sin, it's just back to entrapment, back to you know, slavery to those things, because, uh, the things that we think we are free to do, you know, you look at our culture today where we have in some sense, you know, fairly extreme freedom culturally to kind of do whatever we want. Everyone is their uh, their own god, their own source of authority. And you you look at well, how happy are we? Just as a you know culturally, where is this getting us? Well, in the last you know just 10, 15 years, you know it's gotten we've become increasingly more isolated, uh, increasingly more depressed, increasingly uh, turning to uh, drugs and alcohol and other things to take our minds off the fact that we are not okay, we're not happy. Um, And that's what happens when we take our freedom and run with it. We think we're free, but in fact, we are just enslaving ourselves and making ourselves more and more miserable.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, and just the way that you said these verses so much apply to us as Christians. We see how the neglect of, of this truth of God has Harmed our culture. Uh, Verse 15, particularly, you know, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. It doesn't take much listening to any public discourse to see the truth of that statement. And so God has called us to, to something different in Christ, He's called us to a true freedom. And that's the freedom that we we need, to know that we are saved by God's grace alone, and then to live in that freedom and love for each other. That, again, is where Paul leaves us today. That's where he's going to take us more in the next section. Pastor James Uglum is pastor at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in St. Peter's, Missouri. He's been helping us today to study Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. Pastor Uglum, thanks for being our guest today. Well, Thank you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Galatians 5, send an email to KFUO at KFUO.org. It is always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. Showing support for KFUO is now easier than ever. You can sport a KFUO shirt, swag, or even socks by visiting our online store. Go to kfuo.org slash store and order high-quality KFUO-branded merch. You no longer need to wait for our annual share for a chance to show your KFUO spirit. Visually share and wear this ministry out in the world by checking out our selection. Every purchase helps to support our proclamation of Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Go to kfuo.org slash store.